Welcome to the Pulse Podcast. This is your host for today's episode, Ashley Yip. I'm an internal medicine resident, R1. Uh, today we have a special guest, but after or before I introduce the guest, I'm going to give you a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, first up on the docket is there is a Lunch and Learn in Kelowna. That's my uh, hometown, and I'm very excited to anno- uh, announce that it's going to be at B&A Brewing on February 27th at 6.30 p.m., you can RSVP on the RDBC website. I believe we're going to have uh, the very well-respected Dr. Nick Monfries joining you there. Also coming up is a tax clinic in Surrey on March 28th from 3.15 to 9 o'clock p.m. You can get help with your taxes at Surrey Memorial Hospital. So today I'm going to be chatting with someone that you may or may not know. Uh, His name is Dr. Jeff Frost. He's an R3 physiatry resident and he's been very involved with our uh, RDBC negotiations this year. Thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me, Ashley, on this uh, illustrious podcast. So I haven't seen you for a while. What's been going on? Uh, not too much. Just been hanging out with the negotiations crew, coming up with plots and, and plans to negotiate with. And uh, that's pretty much it. Chatting with the government about our pay. Okay, so what has been happening? How many meetings have you guys had? What have you been doing? Ooh, nailing me on the details already. So I believe we have had five formal days of negotiations, but we've been meeting as a team since uh, September of 2018, just the negotiations team itself, uh, weekly meetings at least, uh, sometimes more than weekly. Like this week we had a full day meeting on Monday. And lots of just follow-up meetings, either via email or kind of informally over the phone. So that's kind of been my life for the last five months, is at least weekly meetings with lots of informal meetings in between, and sometimes more than that, depending on whether or not we feel we need it. Okay. And remind me, who is on the negotiating team for us? Cool. So uh, I should say that we're led by Tony Glavin. He is a labor lawyer here in Vancouver. He has a law firm that primarily deals with labor issues. And they've negotiated on behalf of other collective bargaining units, not just our own, within the healthcare sector. And they also negotiate for other collective bargaining units outside of the healthcare sector. So I know he represents a whole bunch of the actors and stagehands here in Vancouver that work on a lot of the movie sets. So that's kind of, he's got a huge depth of experience when it comes to negotiating contracts for organized labor. So there's Tony and the law firm that he represents, which is more people than I know. Uh, I usually just interact with Tony. Uh, we also have Harry Gray, who's the executive director at RDBC. So Harry used to work for HEABC, who is our employer. There's a lot of acronyms. I'm going to throw around a lot of acronyms today. I'll try and flag them. So HEABC is the Health Employers Association of British Columbia. Harry used to work for HEABC and then did a, a stint in the private sector. He worked for Kwantlen College. I may have mispronounced that. I'm not from British Columbia originally. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's right. Oh, look at me from downtown. Uh, so and then uh, so Harry's Harry's those were his two major roles, uh, but he's had other roles in between. So he's got a wealth of experience dealing with organized labor on both sides of the table, both as the employer and the employee. And he's now the head of RDBC, kind of the hired head of RDBC, like our CEO, pretty much. And he runs the day-to-day operations of RDBC, and he's been very, very helpful and instrumental in making sure that we approach these negotiations professionally, seriously, and prepared. We have other RDBC, RDBC staff on the team. So Brandy McLean, who's one of our support staff at RDBC. Brandy's awesome, very organized. She's been like pushing through the meetings, making sure that we're just staying on track kind of thing, and has also been very helpful in suggesting how to approach the issue of call 
which is kind of a hot button issue for a lot of residents because she manages the administration of the call stipend website. So that's kind of the staff side. There's my, and from the resident side, there's myself. I'm a third year physiatry resident. I've been on the RDBC board for two years now, so I'm kind of neck deep in this stuff and have been for some time. Uh, there's Dr. Pat McDonald. So Pat's a third year psych resident uh, and he's also on the board at RDBC and has been for the last year. There is um, Dr. David McVeigh, who is a public health resident. He's in fourth year. Uh, and he's, you know, just by being in public health, he's got a big wealth of knowledge around the whole kind of government worker interaction. And then there's Dr. Grace Shaw. I hope I pronounced her name right. She'll, she'll tell me if I've pronounced it incorrectly. She's a third year ophthalmology resident. So we were really happy to have Grace because she, we felt she was a good representative of the surgical subgroups of residents. We had a really hard time attracting residents from other surgical subdisciplines to apply to be on the committee because it was a competitive application process. You had to put in your application, you were vetted by the board. Uh, and then we, the board picked the four people they felt would be best for the, the committee. So we were all really happy to get Grace just because she helps represent that, that other side of medicine that we don't always see at our union meetings. Okay. So you said Harry Gray has worked with HEABC before, who is our employer. He has. Does he have any previous relationships? Like, is this a good thing or a bad thing for us? I think it's a good thing because Harry gives us kind of the inside track into what HEABC might be thinking as they approach us at the negotiating table. So it's a really good it's really great to have a sense of what your opposition strategy is so that you can try and counteract it. And I think we get that through Harry. So that's really helpful. He doesn't have any other relationships with HABC or any ties to oh, them. I mean, because he's, he's been with them a lot longer than he's been with us. Right, right. Harry, Harry's, Harry's on our side. Don't worry. <laughs> I see where you're going. I see where you're going. But no, okay. I, I mean, he certainly does. Like our, our chief negotiators on the HABC side, uh, you know, we'd have to check this with Harry because I, I think I was 10 when this happened. But my understanding is Harry was previously their bosses mm -hmm. before they were elevated to the position of chief negotiators. So, I mean, like, yeah, he has deep relationships with a lot of people at HEABC. But again, I see that as a positive because it helps us understand the people that we're communicating with. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest struggles in negotiations is effectively communicating your point so that it's uh, it's made clear what you're after and why you think it's a fair ask. And Harry Harry helps us do that by, you know, sometimes I say things that I think are really well thought out. And Harry will point out, you know, I don't think it landed with the group because you used XYZ example and they don't know what X, Y, or Z are. So let's go back and try that again. And I won't be able to speak about specific conversations we've had at the negotiating table. We kind of all agreed as a group that we wouldn't... Uh, negotiate in public, which I think is very fair. So I won't be talking about specific things that we've discussed at the table today, but I can say in broad strokes, there have been multiple conversations that we've had to revisit, some of them at Harry's insistence, because we realized that we just weren't communicating effectively. And when we revisited the conversation with the negotiators, I found it went much more smoothly. And I would say that Harry was very helpful in multiple instances in leading that, in making sure that we really got to the bottom of the problem and made sure that both sides understood the problem. So no, I think Harry's a value add. Okay. He sounds like it. <laughs> so how does it actually go at the negotiations table? The Do you guys sit on one side of the table? HABC <laughs> sits on the other? Like how, how so, does it look? Hilariously, yes. There's like, it's a big boardroom. Uh, typically, it depends on the boardroom because we go to different boardrooms every every different session. But typically, we sit on one side, they sit on the other side. They have two chief negotiators that do the vast majority of the talking on, on the behalf of HEABC. 
and uh, they do have a wealth of support staff. So they have a ton of different people show up at all these negotiation meetings, largely because they pull someone from each of the health authorities in British Columbia. So that means someone from VCH, someone from VHA, someone from Interior, someone from Northern, someone from Providence. So quickly, they have like a really big table. And because they're the fancy government, they have like an analyst. So there's a guy sitting there on a computer. Like if I say anything that relates to money, he's instantly doing Excel to find out exactly like how much does it cost and then whispering it into the ears of the negotiators. And then they have a bunch of legal support staff as well. So kind of junior lawyers or even senior lawyers that just aren't negotiators that are there speaking, like whispering into the ears of the negotiators so they know what to say back to us. And then that we... That sounds like we're outnumbered. In terms of raw numbers, we are outnumbered uh, for sure. But that I think that's largely a function of the fact that they're pulling someone from each of the health authorities. So they're kind of buffing their own numbers. I like the analysts, the junior lawyers. Well, you Would know. it help us to also have that on our side? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we need the, the junior lawyers, so to speak, or the, the content expert lawyers, because whenever we don't... Whenever we aren't exactly sure that we're on solid legal footing, we just ask for a break. And that's totally legit in negotiations. It's only happened once. And then we reconvened as a team and called Tony's law firm. And we're like, well, what's the deal with this? And we got the answer and went back to the table. So, I mean, I guess I guess in that one instance, maybe it would have been helpful. But, you know, we're a small union. We can't just throw around money like it's 1999. Um, so wait, what happened in 1989? No, 1999. There was a Will Smith song. I, th- I think there was a Will Smith song back when I was a little kid, where he talked about spending money. Like it was 1999, turn of the millennium. Kid. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyways, obviously that cultural <laughs> reference bombed. But <laughs> uh, okay, and then who's on our side? I think you asked that. So there's Tony, who does the vast majority of the speaking because he's our chief negotiator. There's Harry, uh, and then there's Brandy, myself, Pat. Grace and David. All of the residents speak when appropriate. I'm probably the most vocal of the four because I've been the most involved in the negotiations for some time now, going back, I guess, like a year, year and a half. But we draw on all the expertise at the table. So if there's a call issue, Brandy will speak up. You know, if there's an issue about a surgical program, Grace will have something to say. If there's an issue about home call, it's either myself or Grace that will speak to that because we do most, most of the home call. So that kind of thing. Okay. And so back in the spring, we sent out a survey to the membership. This was last year, Mm -hmm. thinking about what we wanted in negotiations. Now that we're actually in it, what do we want? Yeah, so uh, I can't speak about specific demands, and I won't speak about specific demands, but uh, if you listen to our other uh, preparations podcasts, you know that we have kind of main strategies going in based on those surveys, and I don't mind talking about that. That's, I mean, you already know the answer if you're a resident in British Columbia and you have more than three friends. So most of us are frustrated about our pay with respect to the national average. I think it's fair to realize that we get paid significantly less than the national average for a resident. And so that's something we have certainly heard loud and clear from our own membership. There's also costs associated with being a resident. So, you know, exam fees, CMPA fees, stuff like that. We've heard loud and clear that you find it frustrating that those fees are not reimbursed. So... We hear you. And then there's been other things too, just like the wording of the collective agreement. In many points, if you've ever tried reading the collective agreement, which sadly I have many times, <laughs> sometimes it's a little difficult to read. It's not exactly clear what the definitions of certain important things are. Like what is the definition of overnight call? 
um, believe it or not, that is a little murky in the current collective agreement. So we heard loud and clear that we want things to be cleaned up on that end so that if you have a question, you can flip open the, the collective agreement and get an answer to your question. And I think that's a very reasonable ask. I think the collective agreement should be uh, user-friendly. So we've, we've heard you loud and clear on that. And there were some other smaller issues. I won't get into each individual issue because that does start to speak to the ask we've made at the table. But there's kind of things that nibble around the edges of the quality of life that residents have. So, you know, like, like parking, parking, sure. Parking has come up like uh, when you're on rotations away from your home hospital. Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does that involve? Right. Uh, pregnancy, which is becoming a huge issue, which is totally fair now that like more than 50 percent of female of uh, physicians are female in our age cohort. Uh, so kind of the wording around the pregnancy provisions and the collective agreement, stuff like that. So we've heard heard those loud and clear. Okay. So it sounds like everything is on the table, really. So we're looking at the whole compensation package that residents could get. Yeah. I, anytime you enter uh, negotiations with your employer, I would hope that everything is on the table. You might not get everything you want, uh, but I think you should be open to talking about anything that's causing friction with your membership. And we certainly, as a union, are okay. at this point in time. Okay. Anything that we're aware of. If you didn't answer the surveys and there's something that's really bothering you, I'm sorry, but I can I can only represent the majority that I'm aware of. I'll give you Jeff's personal email afterwards and you can email him about it. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> okay. Um, and all of our programs have uh, COPAR reps, which are yeah. the Council of Program Representatives, who yep. communicate with the programs. Yeah. And so they've sent out emails before talking about PSEC and how that affects our negotiations. Yeah. So what is PSAC and what's the deal with that? Good question. So uh, so PSAC is uh, the bane of my existence, but something that I have to admit I'm like wildly impressed by. So PSAC is a group, essentially they're just a group of accountants in Victoria that oversee public spending primarily on wages, like whatever wages, wages the government has to pay out, PSAC oversees it and makes sure that it's a reasonable payout. So what the government does, what's so genius about PSEC is the government gives PSEC a mandate every time they enter negotiations with public sector unions. Unions, So they say, okay, PSEC, your mandate is to make sure that all of the costs for this round of bargaining do not exceed X amount. So in the past, they've told PSEC that you have to make sure that bargaining results in no new net costs for the government. So like a 0% raise. And PSEC made sure that happened. Uh, in this round of negotiations, PSEC's mandate, and this is all public knowledge, you can Google PSEC and their mandate, and it, they, they have a really, really um, visually unappealing website that will tell you all about their mandate. <laughs> and, uh, and so their mandate this round is a 2% raise every year for the next three years. But this is a mandate. This is not law. It's not law. So we're not totally mandate. bound by it. You're not totally bound by it. But PSEC has existed for about 20 years. And there are very few, like you can count them on your hand, instances where someone didn't, where a labor union got more than mandate. So PSEC has been a very powerful force in controlling public spending in the province of British Columbia. And I should point out that nothing like PSEC exists in any other province, which is why I said at the start of this long-winded answer, I'm simultaneously in awe of PSEC because it has been an effective tool at controlling public spending in this province. And we do have lower wages in many public sector uh, unions when compared to equivalent groups in other provinces. 
the real genius of PSEC is that it completely eliminates accountability. So if you whine to the government that you really hate the PSEC mandate, they say, well, we can't do anything about it. It's the mandate, the mandate. We can't touch the mandate. It's the mandate that we came up with. And, we can't do anything and about then it. if you complain to PSEC, they say, well, we can't, we can't do anything about it. The government set the mandate. It's the mandate. It's the mandate. We can't do anything. And you just keep hearing this word mandate to the point where your brain wants to explode. But um, it's, it's a really nice circle of responsibility offload. Um, whereas in other provinces, it's much more obvious that the government sets the mandate, even if they don't have a PSEC to enact the mandate. And so when people don't like the mandate, they complain to the government. Hmm. Whereas in British Columbia, if people don't like the mandate, they complain about PSEC. But PSEC, it's a group of bureaucrats. They don't care if you complain about them. <laughs> they have great jobs with defined benefit pension plans. Like, why would they yeah. care? Um, so it's, it's, a uh, it's a it's a really smart way of controlling public sector spending. Yeah, it sounds like the government kind of dissociated themselves from PSEC, even though they were the ones that instituted the mandate in the first place. Correct, yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they're very firm about mandate. I'll say that. They're very, very firm. We can't say mandate one more time on this podcast. I've, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to end up saying it, and it's, 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 it's frustrating because the reality is, compared to the rest of the country, we don't make an equivalent wage for equivalent labor. That's a frustrating position to be in, uh, doubly more so because we're in a high cost, cost of living area. Most residents in British Columbia are in a high cost of living area, that high cost of living area being Vancouver. Um, but we have this mandate that we have to deal with, that we have to find a way around. So there have been instances in the past where people have gotten, uh, I, should, I shouldn't say people, where labor unions have gotten settlements to contract disputes that went outside of mandate. Uh, so, you know, as your union representative, we're working really hard to be one of those few that escape mandate some way, somehow. Thanks, that's, Jeff. That's what we're trying <laughs> That's what we're going for here. Thanks for doing that while I'm sitting at home watching Netflix and riding my bike. Yeah. No, so how, how many more weeks or months do you have left for negotiations? Yeah. So we have uh, 13 possible scheduled negotiation days left. Uh, we may not end up using all 13. Uh, I would expect that as a membership, we will have a contract that you can consider by like the end of March. And okay. that, that's because there's just some hard realities in the province. Like the province, our contract uh, expires on the 31st of March. And to work with our contract is, it's not great. You can do it, but it's not great. Uh, and the, the NDP government also has to table their budget. And to table their budget, they have to, have have all five healthcare unions kind of signed off on a contract. So they have a huge incentive to make sure that we have mm -hmm. a contract in place so that they can actually table their budget in the near future. Okay. So what happens if we don't have a contract? So if we don't have a contract, we work without a contract. That's the, the very uh, base. I shouldn't say work without a contract. I misspoke. If we don't come up with a new contract, we revert to the old collective agreement. Okay. So you'll work under the rules that you currently work under. Okay, so not too many changes. Well, no, Other than no that changes. you don't <laughs> move forward. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest problem with working under your current contract is your current contract has um, clear wage increases built into it, but those wage increases end uh, on March of March 1st of this year. So if we just continue working under that contract, we'll never get another raise. But inflation happens every year, so it's a bit tough. You so know? it'll just fall behind. It'll just fall behind, further and further behind. Yeah. Okay. No. Cool. Well, we don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> and what happens if we don't come to an agreement? Yeah. So if we don't come to an agreement, so 
there's many different points at which we might not come to an agreement. That's the first thing we need to consider. So first, uh, us as the negotiating team has to bring forward a contract to the board of directors of the union. So we as the negotiating team can feel that we have done such a poor job that we don't even have a contract that we can bring to the board of directors of the union. Um, that's a very unlikely case. Like we'll keep negotiating until we can get a contract. Once we get a contract, we can bring that to the board. The board then looks at it. So that's yourself and all the other board members at the union. Um, if they think it's a good enough contract for the, the general membership to consider, they take a vote. The 10 residents on the board take a vote. And if they vote positively for the contract, every resident gets to see it, read it, think about it. And if you like the new contract, there's then a vote held amongst the general membership. If the general membership majority votes for it, that concludes the negotiating process. You have a new contract. You won't have another podcast like this for three years and we're done. Three years? Is that when our next negotiation would be? Yeah, three years from now. So the, that's already set. Yes, because again, because the PSEC mandate, oh, stupid word. The PSEC mandate is for three-year contracts. So they're only willing to talk gotcha. about three-year contracts. So no more five-year. We just came off a of five-year. The last PSEC mandate was a five-year contract. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure why the government set five years and then three years this time. I, I couldn't. I, I have my theories, but I'm, I don't know for sure. Um, so this round, it's a three-year contract. So in three years' time, we will be renegotiating. So yeah, if you majority vote for, if you read the contract and you think, fine, I like it. This is great. I really want to work under this contract, and you vote for it, and the majority of your peers vote for it, then we're done. If there's a majority vote against, that's a little more interesting. So at that point in time, the contract gets rejected, and then the board of directors has of the union has a decision to make. They can either try and renegotiate with the government. They can say, look, you gave us one contract. We really didn't think it was that good. Uh, we'd like to re reopen negotiations. And the employer can agree to that or not agree to that. That's up to them. Uh, so that's one option you can take. The board of directors can then opt to hold a second vote as well. And that second vote would be a strike action vote. And it would be the question of, okay, you voted down the contract. What do you want to do about voting down the contract? Do you want to go on strike? And at that point in time, we'd have to really define the word strike. Because it's not, it's not immediately obvious what that word means. You can have a full strike or you can have a limited strike. And which of the two would you pursue? That's up to the membership. And this is totally within that destiny is for you to decide as a resident if we go down that path. Because at every point, you'll be able to vote. And so if you feel strongly about either pathway, make sure you vote. So that's kind of where that would go if we were to pursue it. I, I wouldn't speak any more to it at this point in time because it's like exactly what a strike would look like would kind of, it would really depend. Like what, what kind of strike does the board of, rec of directors recommend to the union membership? Uh, and then, you know, you have to vote on, on that question. Okay. So that's something that is a bridge that we'll cross later on, potentially, if we, to, yeah. if we need to. Yeah. Um, and at that point we'll update the membership again. Making lots of long podcasts. But I feel like that's a critical thing that the membership needs to know. It's yeah. a possibility. It's a possibility for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it all just depends on how you, as a, a member of the Resident Doctors of BC and your peers, decide to vote on the decisions that are put forward to you. So the one thing I want to stress for everyone is make sure you vote if you care. Uh, it doesn't matter which way you vote, but if you have a strong feeling, make sure you vote so that you don't feel like your your destiny was decided for you. Like, 
make your own decision. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's one way they can get involved. For sure, yeah. Is there any other way that the membership can get involved with negotiations at this point? Yeah, totally. I think uh, we have to realize that in a democracy like ours, the power is held by democratically elected officials, and they listen to their constituents. So if you have a strong feeling about the way you're paid or the way you're treated as a resident, you have an elected representative that is meant to represent you in the Parliament of British Columbia. So let them know how you feel. <laughs> um, I would say be very respectful. <laughs> Maybe you love your current contract and want them to do nothing except implement the current contract. Let them know that respectfully. Maybe you don't like your current contract and you'd like them to make significant changes to it. I would let them know that respectfully. And of course, elected officials get their power from people. So uh, people vote for elected elected officials. So, you know, maybe even in just conversation with your friends, your family, you can talk to them about the position we're in and how you feel about it. Of course, I would encourage every resident who decides to speak in that way to do so very respectfully. And remember that uh, even though we have some challenges with our current contract, at the end of the day, uh, we're still physicians. So that means relative to most people, we have pretty good jobs. So try and keep that in mind uh, and ask yourself, are you speaking respectfully in light of the fact that you have a pretty good job to those around you? And that that would be my recommendation for people who find themselves in that position. I think that's very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, we are very lucky as physicians to be in this uh, in this job. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a very uh, content-heavy episode. I think we can cut it there. <laughs> you want to cut it already? All uh, right, all right. Well, I don't know. Do you want to talk about anything so else? So I want to flip it and ask you some questions. Like how, oh, shoot. Okay. How do you feel like, like you know this negotiations process is going on. Like what are your thoughts on that whole thing? Oh, Jeff, like, well, do you want to be involved? Are you interested in knowing the outcome? Or is this just kind of like, please, I'm trying to be a resident. I need to do call. I don't want to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that from that point of view. So I think I'm a difficult person to ask because I'm a little bit involved. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the membership and listeners know, but I'm on the board of directors. Yep. Um, and since joining the board of directors, I've kind of gotten to see the internal workings of RDBC and I've become more invested in that and invested in our contract and the wellness of residents going forward. Mm -hmm. That being said, I could totally see how the general membership are just so busy with their lives and figuring out how to eat and sleep. Yeah. Never mind worrying about other things. But um, I think it is an important thing to be engaged with because uh, we only get this opportunity to renegotiate our contract one in every three years now. Previously, yeah. it was one in every five. And it really affects our quality of life. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, that's why I got involved is because I was uh, frustrated enough with our current contract. And I won't speak to what my frustrations were because my job now is to represent the majority, not to represent my own personal opinion. But I was frustrated enough that I wanted to make a change. Uh, and so that's why I ended up getting involved in the union. Uh, and I saw it the same way, that like this is a chance to make a change instead of just complaining over yeah. beers with my buddies. Yes. Like, that's not helpful. I do not think it's valid to complain and then do nothing about it. Yeah. I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah. Cool. So uh, have you seen our buttons, Ashley? I have one of our buttons. Um, I actually gave my, I was really into the pink color. Yes. And I gave it away to Pat. So I'm now on the blue. 
Oh, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. See, I'm still rocking the pink. Okay, nice. Maybe maybe you can tell the people about so, our button. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for people who haven't seen them, um, RDBC put out a little communication pamphlet about how, like, just little negotiations update and how residents can discuss these issues. And each little pamphlet came with a button, and the button says, "Ask me, I'm a resident." And all also, and you're supposed to wear the button. And theoretically, patients, people from the public sphere. Would be like, oh, what's a resident? And it would be a uh, conversation stimulating tool. Yeah. However, in my experience, there have been four people who have asked me about the button. Oh, really? One was a pharmacist <laughs> that said, nice button. And I said, thanks. <laughs> uh, the second was my ICU staff. And was he was like, what the heck is that? And I was like, it's a button. I'm a resident. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. I told him about negotiations, but he wasn't really the person that I wanted to stimulate the conversation with. And then two nurses were like, oh, that's cute. Nice button. <laughs> so uh, personally, I don't know. Like, I haven't really had any success uh, talking to patients about what it is to be like, to be a resident because a lot of patients don't really realize the difference between a resident and a staff. Yeah. And I think that is an issue. There's like a disconnect there. Totally. Um, and they don't really understand what our lives are like. Um, they don't know that we're there for 26 hours overnight, yeah. not sleeping, seeing other people. Um but yeah, how is it? How is your button wearing experience going? So mine's mine's been a little bit different in that I have had some patients look at it and be like, "What is that?" And then it's an opportunity to start a conversation, which I think is helpful. I totally agree that ninety nine percent of people have no idea what a resident is, and you know, upon reflection, like, yeah, why why would you know? Like, I don't know what the different levels of tradespeople are. Like, I don't know what an apprentice yeah. lineman is versus a journeyman i, I or know like a management consultant versus a financial analyst like i don't know no idea yeah. it's a lived experience it's a lived experience for sure so i think it's fair that that question exists i'm happy to answer it i i've actually found uh it's been very helpful to have the discussion with staff though uh because a lot of my s staff have also asked about it just like you uh i guess i just am more t more interested in having a discussion <laughs> so this is in the middle of icu rounds i should preface oh, fair enough. and icu rounds there's enough to get through for each patient that i didn't want to really focus on my button um totally but what was it I like for it, you so it was a really interesting conversation because my staff said like oh you're going into negotiations like that must be easy you guys are the best paid residents <gasps> in canada no and i was like what where did you hear that <laughs> so they a bunch of my staff were under the impression that we were the best paid residents in canada and then we like lived at large in british columbia and i was like excuse me <laughs> anyway, try the worst try the worst by a country mile um so that i i thought that was interesting because even even people like staff i think are our constituent that we have to sway and they should know about our issues, right? Like some of these people were residents like two, three years ago yeah, and they have no concept of what it's, um, what it's like to be, Oh, I shouldn't say they have no, uh, there's a, a varying there's spectrum. A gap. There's, there's a varying a, yeah. spectrum, but there's, a gap. there's certainly some staff that uh, don't really know what it's like to be a resident, what that means in British Columbia in today's economic climate. Uh, and I think, I, th I think, I mean, if we can't, can, if we can't have that conversation with our staff, we can't have that conversation with the general public. So, uh, yeah. And it, it was just mind-boggling that they thought that. I was like, <laughs> but <laughs> How did you even respond? What did you say? I think I was just like, what? <laughs> and then, like, it, it evolved into a, a more serious conversation. But my first reaction was uh, shock. Like, yeah. just shock. But, you know, 
again, I've been knee deep in this for like two years now. So of course I'm going to have an emotional reaction to a, uh, a, re- a response like that. So yeah, it is what it is. Okay. You've inspired me next time. an ICU staff asks me, I'm going to stop the rounds. <laughs> I'm going to give them the full spiel negotiations. What we've been doing. PSEC mandate. Good, good, good. You'll put them to sleep just yeah. like their talk of potassium puts yeah. me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I am out of questions. Are you out of questions? Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty content heavy podcast, especially for the listeners who are not knee deep in this like you. I think yes. that's a lot of info to digest. Yes. Um, for the upcoming podcast, I think we'll have something a little bit more light to talk about. Yeah. I th- well, you wanted to talk about doing taxes, which doesn't sound <laughs> light, but Okay. So taxes are, taxes are important and they're coming up, but in between those times, um, we're going to be doing some interviews with your board of directors. Oh, yeah. Um, many of you may not know, but you do have a board of directors that represents you. Uh, as a union, you're all part of a union. Some mm-hmm. people don't know that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's representatives from lots of different specialties, including emergency medicine, physiatry, pediatrics, internal medicine, neurology, psychiatry, as well as a lot of observers from anesthesiology, general surgery, obstetrics um, and gynecology. Obstetrics and gynecology. I'm probably missing a few We're as well. We're definitely missing a couple. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll let you guys get to know them as well. Cool, cool, cool. That sounds fun. Because those are the people representing you. And we'll find some way to make taxes fun. Maybe we'll turn it into a drinking game or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, for taxes, I think we'll have to bring in an expert. Oh, no, that sounds even more fun. Yeah, you're right, though. If we're going to do it properly, we'll have to bring in an expert. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we might show you guys how to do your taxes yourself. That would be cool. I've never done my own taxes. Really? Never. I didn't mind. So my mom is a... Uh, an accountant, mm. and uh, she works for the federal government in um, mm, the enemy. in appeals. Right. So if you if you have a problem <laughs> with your taxes and you want to appeal it, my mom is the one who you talk to. Uh, so she knows the ins and outs of taxes, and she's been oh. doing my taxes for my whole life up until last year. Is your mom going to so. be our expert? <laughs> <laughs> we should bring your mom on the podcast. <laughs> so my mom's in Kelowna, but maybe uh, yeah, she's coming to visit. Maybe yeah, we should definitely in. do it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that so would be fun. I, I have always found sneaky ways into getting, uh, I shouldn't say that, that's a hyperbole. I have always found ways to access free resources that help with filing taxes, mm. like our tax clinic. Awesome podcast segue, which is happening. When is it happening? March 26th? So I did this in the housekeeping. March 28th is the Surrey March Tax 28th. Clinic. There will be other tax clinics coming to you if you are not in Surrey. So yep. stay tuned for those. And so last year we had massages and free taxes. Yeah. When I first heard that, I was really just interested in the massages. Are we going to do that? I'm pretty, I hope we're doing the massages. That was the best part. That was yeah. the highlight of tax I feel day like that's what you year. need to decompress after yeah. doing your taxes mm-hmm. is a massage. Mm-hmm. I did it before and after just for good measure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Ashley, on this illustrious, famous podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.